Today's show is brought to you by Pleasureland RV, best in the Midwest. Learn more at PleasurelandRV.com. Today's show is also brought to you by The Vault at Stock and Barrel in Egan, a collection of specialty and pre-owned firearms for collectors and enthusiasts. Learn more at StockandBarrel.com. Everybody, welcome to WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830 on this Sunday, September 3rd, 2023, Labor Day weekend. A little warm out there, isn't it, folks? Indeed. We're going to talk quite a bit about fish yet, this this broadcast. I know there's a lot of folks thinking about hunting, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But uh, we are going to talk with Mark Holston from MinFish. He's the executive director over there doing a bang-up job, talking about an online auction that they've got cooking starting next weekend, starting, I believe, the 12th. So I want to give folks a little preview of that. Uh, We will also talk with someone from the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources, Melissa Wagner, I believe her name is. She's the uh, uh, head of fisheries down in Lanesboro, Minnesota, southeastern Minnesota. We're going to talk trout with her a little bit about the uh, what they're calling the driftless strain of brook trout that the DNR is stocking. They're pretty excited about it. They're stocking this fish Around the southeast, for sure, it's genetically pure. It's it's what you would have caught historically uh, down in that part of the state. The DNR always tries to do that, and I'm a, I'm a brook trout guy. I'm a, I'm a I'm a trout fisherman. You know, brook trout are actually char. I don't know how many people know that. Lake trout and brook trout are actually char, and the rule is, I think it's white spots on a dark body. Those are in the char family. Dark spots on a light body, those are true trout. So if you see a rainbow trout, it's got, you know, very clear kind of uh, dark spots on it. That's a, that's a trout. Uh, same with brown trout. Same with many other species. But light spots on dark body, those are actually char. And brook trout, I think, technically should be called brook char. I don't think uh, we're ever going to get everybody to switch that over. Um, and, and same with lake trout, but uh, so a little a little learning there. Uh, when you're an outdoors editor, you, you learn these things over the years. It's all sorts of useless information that no one else ever wants to know about. The early teal season started yesterday uh, across the state. A very very warm <laughs> duck hunting scenario for a lot of folks. Uh, I, I've seen a fair number of pictures online, uh, social media, folks posting pictures of their success afield, and, and I'm glad. I tell you what, you're hardcore. If you're going out there in a, in a marsh and hip waders, uh, when, you know, what what was the temperature this morning at 6 a.m. in the Twin Cities? Was it 75 degrees plus? Uh, you you're you are hardcore, and I tip my hat to you. As I've mentioned before, I've got a, a few kind of mixed feelings about the early teal season. I You know, I'm, I'm not necessarily, necessarily thrilled that we're putting more pressure on our already declining duck populations. Now, I've talked to folks who said, you know, yes, overall duck populations are down for a number of reasons, uh, but blue-winged teal are actually up. They're pretty abundant. They're a productive bird. This is a legitimate opportunity to go out there and, and uh, enjoy some some early season hunting. Uh, we still got the state fair going on. Uh, you know, the, the you know, WCCO Outdoors has learned. Uh, yeah, the fair goes through tomorrow. I was out there, like I said last weekend on the show, working the outdoor news booth uh, a couple nights, and I really want to thank the folks who did stop by. There was at least a half a dozen folks who stopped by and said, "Rob, I listen to you on CCO. It's it's great to meet you." Uh, really positive response. So thank you for those folks who did stop out. I, I know all the rest of you were too busy. I, I'm not mad at you, but uh, so that, that was great to hear. 
uh, and meet people directly. I met a couple young waterfowlers, uh, who, and we talked about the blue-winged teal hunt a little bit. And, uh, you know, it's good to see young guys who are really excited about uh, about waterfowling because, uh, you know, to me, waterfowling is, is those are the hardcore, true blue hunters out there, right? If you're going to be a waterfowler, you got to be dedicated. You know, it's not like deer hunting where you take the, the shotgun or the rifle out and you, and you tune it up uh, two weeks before the season and you throw on the blaze orange and you go hunt. Now, those guys are important. We, we need the, they're the bread and butter license holders out there. But the hardcore guys that waterfall hunt, you you got to be dedicated to your craft if you want to be a waterfowler, right? There's decoys, there's dogs, there's access, there's being a good wing shooter. There's a whole realm, there's buying duck stamps, right, that, that goes to support conservation. So it's always heartening to me when I see some some young guys out there uh, interested in, in still participating in the sport. Uh, you know, I argued with a couple of these guys about, you know, I'm not necessarily thrilled with the blueing teal season. And, and they're like, oh, there's a lot of birds. And, you know, one guy said, oh, there's all kinds of birds in North Dakota. I just heard about it. And I, I was like, you know what, I just went through that myself. I had happened to edit that story today. There's there's good numbers of broods out there. The number of birds per brood, I think, was actually down. And if you, if you got into that North Dakota press release that came out this week where they were raving about all the birds, the bottom line was I think they said overall ducks in North Dakota were up like 1.5%, which compared to the rest of the continent is good news, right? I, if, if you're listening to the show, you know, continentally we're down like 7% from last year and down 9% or more off the long-term average. Uh, and I'm and I'm writing more about that in my column this week, uh, particularly as it pertains to mallards. I'm getting a little worried about mallards. They're down in this region, and you, you think they're down here? They're really down the farther east you go, like uh, the, the Great Lakes, Eastern Great Lakes. Mallard counts are really down. States like Michigan, they're like 75 percent off the long-term average. I think that would surprise a lot of people. Uh, you know what? We need to get in a break. Uh, we're going to talk with Mark Holston first, then Melanie Wagner. So a lot of uh, some great content with some guests we're going to have here. I will be. Uh, I'll wrap it up uh, here in a little while, also with uh, some more closing thoughts. I got a lot of things on my mind. So I'm uh, looking forward to a great broadcast. Thanks for tuning in. This is WCC Out of Doors. Let's get in a quick break. Hey everybody, welcome back to WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. I am Rob Dreesline on this Sunday, September 3rd, 2023. A hot weekend for everybody. Yes, alert the media. I know we're all aware uh, that we're, we're hitting like record temperatures for the day, but, uh, and, and for the weekend. Uh, good, good weekend to be out on the water. Still uh, do some fishing and, uh, and have some fun out there. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, we will talk with Melissa Wagner here in a little while. Melissa's with the Minnesota DNR. We're going to talk about brook trout uh, and how the DNR is working hard to uh, stock genetically pure, uh, what they're calling the driftless uh, strain of brook trout down in the southeast part of the state and actually beyond, maybe in, in other portions of the state now. Hey, joining us now is a gentleman I've gotten to know very well over the past 20 years. His name is Mark Holston. He is the executive director these days of MinFish, a really important critical organization that's done some great work the past several years uh, on behalf of all fishermen and fisherwomen here in our fine state. He's also a past DNR commissioner. He is, I believe, enjoying the, the weekend at his uh, his lake home or lake cabin this uh, this how, this Labor Day weekend. Mark, how are you doing? We're doing well. We're doing well. Staying cool, trying yeah. to. Good. Yeah, no, that's that's the de- definitely the theme here uh, this this weekend. Um, Mark, yeah, you've been with Minfish now. It's 
gosh, I'm I, is it eighteen months, couple years? I I, I don't I forget exactly. No, that's about right. It's, yeah, yeah. It came in in the spring of uh, of last year, so it's been a month, or a year and a half, uh, and it's been a great, been a lot of fun, and working to build this organization up and trying to create a strong voice for anglers to uh, interact with the with the Department of Natural Resources on on different things and work with the legislature trying to get the regis- legislature to recognize how important fishing is in Minnesota and start making investments or reinvesting back into our fishing infrastructure. Yeah, for really for almost a couple decades there wasn't a lot of quote unquote fishing presence, uh, you know, uh, folks acting on behalf of anglers at the state capitol and minfish has really filled that void. Uh, the past couple of years, and your presence has really, really invigorated the organization. It's 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 been a lot of fun to watch. Uh, I know that Minfish was particularly proud with what happened during the 2023 session. We were sitting on a big old budget surplus, and uh, I, you know, w- w- it would have been nice to maybe get even a bigger chunk. But I think Minfish is pretty pretty darn satisfied with how the session went and the accomplishments that occurred. Yeah, just can you knock some of those out for us, quick, Mark? Uh, I, you know, hatcheries sure. and, and boat landings was was kind of the, was the emphasis. We talked about it a lot here on this show, and and that's kind of kind of how it worked out, right? Yeah, that 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 is what we really tried to focus in on. We started doing that back in 2022, so we we had a really robust agenda over a year ago, asking for 98 million dollars to be invested in our public in the uh, the fish hatchery systems. There's 15 hatcheries spread around Minnesota, and we wanted to start the rebuilding of those and start putting money, re-energizing the public access or boat launch uh, across the state. And so people kind of scoffed at us a, a year and a half ago when we said we wanted that big of a chunk. Um, this year came around. The governor heard what we were talking about. We spent some time with him, and boy, all of a sudden, it started to make, with that big surplus, those uh, numbers started to look like realities, and Mm -hmm. and we got $98.1 million injected from the state into that infrastructure. Hatcheries, we're rebuilding the Waterville Hatchery, Crystal Springs is going to get a big shot in the arm, and we start doing some of that deferred maintenance that has been kind of put off on right. some of the other ones yeah. and 35 million dollars got targeted specifically to boat accesses or public water accesses rob there's 1700 state accesses out there and they hadn't had any investment in those that went back a decade and so this is a huge shot in the arm to that to start getting those accesses rebuilt. I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of folks out there listening on the road right now, maybe sitting at their lake cabins, listening to WCCO, nodding their heads, saying, "Yeah, uh, my my local access needs work." And that's what I want to emphasize here, folks. You got Minfish working hard, advocating for you to try to improve these accesses, as well as I bet a lot of people heard that that number. There's 15 hatcheries in the state. I bet they're shocked to know that there's that many hatcheries in Minnesota growing fish. Those walleyes, those brook trout, those other species swimming around a local lake or stream or other water body near you, that's not an accident. There's a hatchery that probably grew 
uh, some of the the fry that ended, entered your lake and maybe en- ended up on the end of your fishing line and, and, and then ultimately your frying pan. Uh, and that, that all starts with a group like Minfish advocating, you know, for anglers. So uh, some great accomplishments. It doesn't occur for free. Now, like we say, there's a lot of money uh, that the legislature appropriate. Minfish doing this work doesn't occur for free, and there were a couple of a, there was an, there was an auction this past spring that was very successful, and that's what we're coming around to. You got another fall auction, September twelfth to seventeenth next weekend. It it kicks off. Tell us about that auction that's about raising money so that you guys can do your work. Yeah, so we're uh, we're out in the middle of our fundraising season, and so we're having this auction. We're calling it the world's greatest fishing and hunting auction. It is approximately 40 items of fishing trips, uh, ice fishing trips, day guide trips. We've got hunting trips. We've got duck hunting in North Dakota, duck hunting in southwest Minnesota, pheasant hunting in South Dakota. Um, we got grouse hunting in northern Minnesota. Uh, you got an opportunity to tie into some of these really elite camps or resorts that uh, that take you out fishing, take you out hunting. Uh, but then we got a lot of items. Um, we just secured uh, a factory tour of Weatherby Firearms in, in Sheridan, South, uh, Sheridan, Wyoming. You get to go take a tour of the facility. You get to go to their gun range. Um, and you're going to get a rifle, uh, a Weatherby rifle. Uh, we just, St. Croix Rods did the same thing tour of the St. Croix facility at uh, Park Falls, Wisconsin, and you walk out of there with five brand-new St. Croix rods. Ooh, sweet. Um, <laughs> it's a, there's some great, great opportunities. We have one, another one at Federal Cartridge. Same thing. You get to go in, take a tour of Federal Cartridge. You're going to walk out of there with two cases of either Black Cloud or Prairie Storm. It, Like I said, there's some great items on this auction that gives the people the opportunity to go bid those those dollars are going to support our lobbying efforts up at the capitol our funds are basically but rob our uh our bank account is running low it's pretty much empty for the next legislative session and we've got to be geared back up to go back up there and fight for those dollars to to keep investing into those hatcheries because we're not done we couldn't get all 15 hatcheries done in one year, so we got to get back up there and try to get the rest of those hatcheries fixed. That $35 million for boat accesses isn't going to cover all of them. we got to keep fighting for those dollars. And then there's other stuff. That Asian carp or those invasive right. carp coming up to Mississippi, that's going to take require some money. And we've been working on that this summer, um, trying to get – Working on that, and there's going to be a package up at the Capitol this spring, working to try to make sure we get barriers in place, mm-hmm. get the DNR the dollars they need to do uh, carp removal um, in the Mississippi. So all this stuff's important. Shore fishing and fishing piers throughout the state, another item that we've been working on. Mark, we got a couple minutes left, so I want to make sure I get to the, the gist of how folks can access this auction. They go to mn-fish.com, so it's minfish.com, mn-fish.com. That's the website. 
right on top, you're going to see auction dates, September 12th to 17th, and you can click through to the auction and see all the great things that you just cited. You also can see that a list of uh, 2023 Minfish accomplishments. So uh, what would you say, 40-plus 40, 40 items uh, on the auction? We've got about, yeah, there's four, I think there's like 39 right now, but there's more stuff coming in every day. And so I know there's probably five or six items sitting in my computer that tomorrow morning I'm going to be getting up and starting to load more in. Um, but yeah, we'll be it'll be 40, 45 items by next weekend on there. So we're loading more new new items every day. And Mark, like I say, in in, in one minute, you you kind of alluded to some of the priorities for 2024. Uh, a, a carp barrier. We've talked about that a lot. Uh, doubling down on hatcheries. Any other policy items or financial items that that is going to be a focus for Minfish when the 2024 legislative session rolls around this winter? You know, as an organization, we have 18 board members. We're going to be sitting down the fall and finalizing what our actual agenda is going to be. These things we know are going to be there. I can't tell you what everything else. We, but remember, Rob, we're trying to stay very focused. Mm-hmm. We're trying to be for all anglers. There are a lot of different issues oh, yeah. <laughs> around angling that... That can divide you know, people um, pretty fast, yeah. <laughs> people would love us to get involved in their issue or their lake. Sure. And, you know, we just have to stay focused right now and stay to the big picture on the things that are affect all of us as anglers. Finally, the auction, one more time, kicks off on September 12th, runs through the 17th, uh, what you know? What time it gets going? Any any you know? How, how's it work? I mean, folks, they're going to have that whole five day period to bid on bid on any of these items. Yep. They yes. Yeah, so they go to the they go to minfish dot com. They go into the auction site and then they'll have to register. Once they register at the auction site, they're locked in and they can uh, bid away starting September twelfth, ending on the seventeenth. Okay, so the the top bid at the end on the seventeenth is what's gonna what's gonna win the auction. That's right. Yeah, so it's not like you got you got to hurry. It's you know what it's everyone has gone to and, and been to the uh, silent auctions. Sure, it's kind of like that. It's yep. a silent auction style, and at the end of the day, at the at the the, uh, the computer switches it off at the nine o'clock <laughs> on seventeenth. And <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. All right. Well, I thank you for spending a, a segment with us here, Mark. You're doing a great job. Minfish is doing a great job. Thank you for all you do. I want to urge anglers to get involved on this online auction, September 12th to 17th. Go to mn-fish.com. Get involved. Spend some money. You're going to get some great gear, some great experiences, and you're going to help uh, lobby for, for better fishing in Minnesota going forward in 2024 and beyond. Mark, thanks a lot. Have a great uh, rest of your Labor Day weekend, my friend. You too, Rob. Everyone take care. Take care. That was Mark Holson from Minfish, mn-fish.com. Get all the details. We are going to get in a break. More of the broadcast after these messages. Welcome back, everybody, to WCCO Outdoors on this Sunday, September 3rd, day before Labor Day. Big holiday weekend across Minnesota. Hope folks are enjoying this long weekend. I am Rob Dreesline, and we devote an hour every week here on WCCO to chatting about the outdoors. Most of our discussion right now, we're obviously getting really geared up for hunting seasons, right? We've got a couple of hunting seasons already underway, waterfalls, specifically migratory birds with morning doves, also in early geese. But uh, there's still a little bit of fishing talk to be had. And the DNR issued a really fascinating press release here last week about the uh, so-called heritage brook trout 
that the agency is stocking in Southeast streams. Uh, we got a great guest who's going to join us right now and talk a little bit about these fish, these char, I will point out. Uh, her name is Melissa Wagner. She's the Lanesboro Area Fisheries Supervisor, and she's agreed to spend some time with us now. Melissa, thanks a lot for uh, calling into the broadcast. Yeah, you bet, Rob. Thanks for having me. It sounds like the Minnesota DNR has spent a lot of time trying to get the genetics really pure with our brook trout for southeastern Minnesota to try to match what actually was down there historically. Why is that important? Yeah, I think it's important because, um, kind of like you alluded to, the brook trout were the only native salmonid in southeast Minnesota. You can envision poor land use practices and changing in, in climate has maybe caused them to be extirpated from certain areas. We've used brown trout and rainbow trout as a management tool to increase fishing opportunities, I think. But getting back to you know managing for a, a trout species that was here historically is really important. And you know this has been 20 years in the making. We've been doing a lot of work on our genetics testing of our wild populations of brook trout. And really the question was, do we have any of these native, you know, heritage genetics left in our streams after so much change in in history, as well as, you know, they've been stocking brook trout in this area historically. I think it speaks to the resiliency of the species that you folks were able to still find some of these historically native genes in southeastern Minnesota streams. For years, we have been stocking brook trout, but they have tended to be more from eastern, eastern United States stocks of brookies. Is that right? Yep. So we get the question, um, you know, we will be stocking these in places maybe that have those eastern stock strains as well. And anglers are like, well, how do you think they will, will compete with those strains? And our confidence is built on what you alluded to, that these populations have been able to persist for this long. Why shouldn't they be able to continue? So we're pretty confident in this new strain that they will do well in this area just because they've been able to persist, you know, down the drift list with kind of unique water and um, those colder temperatures. Without getting too deep into the weeds here, how do you determine the what's a pure genetic strain of brook trout versus something from out east? Yeah, so when we did all the genetics testing, we took basically a fin clip, clipped the little adipose fin or whatever's available for mm -hmm. material from every stream that we had brook trout, but we also did it for every known stock strain we have. So there's genetic material available from those east coast stock strains and there's a handful of those. We also tested one of the Iowa strains. And so basically you compare all those and it's this kind of tree branchy looking graph that hmm. clusters the different populations together. And then geneticist looks at those and decides, you know, which populations are related genetically to one another. And so there was definitely about half of our streams that were related to the eastern stock strain. We had 10 or 12 that were strongly related to our the past strain we'd been using, which was the Minnesota wild. And then we had, you know, some other ones that were not related to either of those. So the idea is that that's the remnant heritage genetics. 
Yeah, for years I heard about the Minnesota wild strain, and you were telling me off air that that was kind of a mix of some of these native Minnesota genes with some of the eastern genes. Some of those still obviously exist. Sound like you had a hatchery fail, and so it was a good time to to kind of reset with this new strain. All these fish are coming out of the, is it the Peterson hatchery? Is that also what you were telling me down in southeast Minnesota? Yep. Well, this new strain is the plan. We're going to just stock strictly this new strain, which is really the old strain. And eventually they're going to outcompete and replace what's left of some of those eastern genes in the, in the Minnesota wildfish. Yeah, that's our hope. For our driftless area, we'll, we will just be strictly stocking um, this strain that's available. You know, what I'm really excited about is we have some upper headwater or small tributaries that we know are cold enough to support brook trout. But you can envision maybe they're once extirpated and they've not been able to migrate back up into those smaller headwaters. Um, We're going in and actually reintroducing brook trout into those waters. And so we do have the ability to evaluate all of those scenarios and help learn, you know, for future management, which one is successful. And hopefully all of them are. You're listening to WCCO Outdoors, and we are chatting with Melissa Wagner. She's the Lanesboro Area Fisheries Supervisor about a new heritage strain of brook trout that the Minnesota DNR is stocking in southeast streams. They're calling it the driftless strain, which is uh, a nice term that I think anyone who is uh, trekked around the southeast can respect. What does this mean for anglers, Melissa, in terms of are they going to catch bigger fish, do you think, or are these going to be you know the same size as some of the other strands? What does it mean for the end of, uh, of an angler's fly line? Well, the fact that we're reintroducing them into new streams, I believe that anglers will catch brook trout more frequently. I do think they will be successful in this area, just as we mentioned earlier, that that's built on the fact that this these populations have persisted thus far. We are doing a lot of due diligence before we go into places and stocking. We're collecting water temperature data for places there aren't brook trout to determine, well, are they not there because the water temperature isn't cold enough? And then looking at making sure they have decent habitat. So I think you know, the anglers, just the increased opportunities, you know, we have a lot of fishing pressure down here at times. So having additional streams where you can catch these heritage brook trout, I think is going to be, be a win for a lot of us. Well, like you say, not just in the Southeast, the press release says the agency also plans to stock these into streams in the Detroit Lakes area, Duluth, Fergus Falls, Little Falls area, and the Metro. So uh, the old uh, driftless strain is going to going to see some new territory, it sounds like. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty exciting to get them spread out for for many anglers to target them. Will this alter the stocking regimen for the other species, rainbow trout and brown trout, which you mentioned earlier in the interview? Those are not native. I think that might surprise a lot of people to know that rainbow trout are not native to Minnesota. They're a west slope. Uh, Northern California, I believe, is where the rainbow trout is originally from. And, of course, the browns come from Europe. Uh, Some of the old-timers still call them German brown trout. Will this alter the stocking regimen for those species? Yes, we actually have a couple examples we're already having to adjust you know, some of these streams we were stocking brown trout fingerlings into. And now that we're switching gears to having these brook trout be more of a focus, you know, we have to kind of make some decisions on the brown trout stocking. So they definitely can inhabit different parts of the stream. So it depends on the system. And a couple of these examples, they're, you know, eight, nine mile long streams. So we could 
we could focus management efforts on the brook trout, you know, on the upper half. Yeah, definitely, definitely gets you thinking on, on the management side of things. Brown and rainbows generally, do they want bigger, bigger water than, and the brookies tend to want smaller water or isn't it quite that simple? Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. Also the brook trout just really prefer that really cold water and the brown trout, even if available, they're not up in there as much, you know, maybe it's the smaller ones are able to hang out up there, but the, the bigger ones grow faster and seem to do well or in that bigger, a little bit warmer water, or, you know, maybe it's based on the prey available. If they can feed on minnows, they can grow a lot bigger. They do compete a little bit on, on some of the same food sources. Would you say yep. that? Yes. Yeah. Earlier, you know, during European settlement, a lot of these streams were, were warmer, right? Uh, you had a lot of trees get cut down. The water wasn't as clear and brown trout were more likely to survive. Now, you know, I'd like to think streams are a little bit cleaner and we've got a lot of forests over the, the streams. It helps keep things cool and, and that's good for brook trout. Well, this is exciting, Melissa. Uh, still time to, to go out and trout fish, right? We've got some um, some catch and release seasons in the fall, don't we? Yep. Another interesting thing about trout species is they uh, they tend to, they usually spawn in the autumn, don't they? Yep. They'll start maybe end of October, middle to end of October, and it, it depends on the stream system. Spawning can be staggered, but yep, they'll start and start getting geared up here and that's that's kind of a fun time to be catching them too because they get really colorful both the browns and the brook trout kind of get their fall spawning colors so mm-hmm. well it's an amazing resource i think a lot of folks don't even know that we have in minnesota the uh, trout and salmon between lake superior of course and then the north shore streams and then uh, small streams around the state especially the southeast and, and i know western wisconsin is not your purview but a lot of good trout water over there too Melissa, thanks a lot for joining us. If folks want more information on this uh, effort, it looks like they can go to mndnr.gov backslash areas backslash fisheries. I presume check out that Lanesboro area and uh, get get more complete information. We've got the whole story in this week's print edition of Outdoor News also. Thanks a lot for joining us and good luck with uh, the stocking effort. Yeah, thanks for having me and having interest in this topic. You bet. Melissa Wagner, she's the Lanesboro Area Fisheries Supervisor, talking about the new heritage brook trout, driftless brook trout in southeast streams and beyond. Let's get in a break. More of the broadcast after these messages. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to WCCO Outdoors. I am Rob Dreesline. Final segment of this week's broadcast. Thanks for tuning in. I had a good time here, as usual, chatting with a number of guests and, and talking about some things on my mind, particularly ducks. I like to, uh, I'm, I'm an old school waterfowler and I like to, uh, to flesh some of those, uh, thoughts out that are, that are in my mind with listeners. I appreciate you putting up with me here all the time. Uh, we had a, a pretty important ruling come down this past week. Uh, it didn't get a lot of play. I don't think I saw it anywhere in the major media. I think Star Tribune ran a story inside about it. But we had some Supreme Court rulings that started in, I think the first one was in 98. There was another one like five years later, been a couple more since, where the Supreme Court has slowly eviscerated uh, some provisions within the Clean Water Act. Uh, and we had a number of administrations, starting with uh, the second Bush administration, uh, that, that first tried to tackle a new federal rule that would reinterpret what the Clean Water Act meant for protecting isolated wetlands. They kind of threw in the towel on, decided not to pursue it. I think it, it just they just ran out of time. The Obama administration came back with uh, its version, which was very similar to what uh, 
for how the feds had interpreted it, uh, you know, going back to the early, uh, when did it pass? The 1960s, so like 35 years. Uh, And there was even legislation, federal legislation. Jim Oberstar from northeastern Minnesota tried to pass some legislation uh, that would have just restored uh, what uh, what the original language had done. That didn't pass in a, in a, in a gridlocked Congress. Go figure. Uh, then um, I, then the Trump administration came along and, and basically did a 180 on what the Obama administration uh, wanted to do. Go figure. Uh, we had another Supreme Court ruling in there, and then the Biden administration had uh, its version. And then this Supreme Court ruling came down, and the Biden administration this past week basically threw in the towel and said, you know, we got to abide by the Supreme Court rulings. Uh, I, you know, I don't know what's going on in the halls of uh, of the White House or within some of the other uh, key office buildings where the Department of Interior sits in Washington D.C. But I, I suspect they just said, you know what, we only got so much political bandwidth here, and we're we're done fighting this. Uh, what it means is that a lot of isolated wetlands around the country uh, have lost some protection permanently that uh, that existed under the Clean Water Act. Uh, I, in talking to some of my friends in the duck hunting world, the duck management, the duck conservation world, you know, they're saying that in the Prairie Pothole region, which is you know eastern, well, I'm sorry, western Minnesota, Dakotas, eastern Montana, that region where we grow a lot of ducks, that they're not you know as worried about that. Uh, because we've got something called swamp buster that protects agriculture, if, if prevents agriculture. If you're going to drain wetland, you're not eligible for some subsidies, crop insurance, that sort of thing. I, I don't understand all the details, but it's called swamp buster, and it helps protect wetlands in that key area. But we're going to lose some wetlands in other parts of the country. And I talked last week about how duck numbers are down. I mentioned it earlier in this broadcast. And losing more wetlands out there across the country is not going to uh, not going to help duck numbers. Uh, as we uh, as we go forward, unfortunately, sadly, got a couple minutes left here. A couple things I would point out. I see a press release from the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources pointing out free entrance to state park and recreation areas next Saturday, September 9th. If you're a young family out there, I tell you what, my family we took advantage of that a lot when our kids were younger. Uh, you know, it's not like I was too tight to buy a park pass, but frankly, we just didn't get out to go to visit state parks very often, and Occasionally, I would see that that you know that that free day was available. I was like, yeah, that's a good excuse to go to a state park and, and get the kids out. So, uh, I would encourage folks to take advantage of that. Uh, the DNR is waiving vehicle permit fees at all seventy-five state parks and rec areas on Saturday, September 9th. I'm hoping everybody it's a little cooler out there a week from now, and that uh, you can get out and enjoy that. Today, by the way, September third, I want to point as long as long we're talking about important federal legislation. I mentioned the Clean Water Act a few minutes ago. Today is the 59th anniversary, I believe, of the Wilderness Act. I'm a big, mean old backpacker. I love to go backpacking. I love to be 10, 15 miles off the grid. Uh, and that is a really important piece of legislation that protected a lot of wilderness around America. We love to think of ourselves as, you know, hardy Americans who love wide open spaces. Well, it was going fast in the mid 20th century after the baby boom, you know, post World War II. And uh, some key people out there decided, uh, hey, we need to protect some of this wilderness. And they passed that act 59 years ago. Lyndon Johnson signed it. So thank you to all those. Uh, insightful folks that uh, had foresight and protected these areas permanently, places like the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness. Hey, with that, I'm out of time. Thanks, everybody, for putting up with me. 
for the past hour. I hope everybody has a great week out of doors. Enjoy this hot weekend. Enjoy the end of the State Fair, and we will talk to you seven days from now. Rob Dreesline for WCCO Outdoors.